Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be rounding off our Ryan Johnson miniseries. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, if you were a director, what actor would you want to appear in all of your films like Ryan Johnson does with Noah Segan and Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in Chicago, and it would have to be somebody super chill and who I just could really get along with and could just kind of blend into anything. So it can't be like a big superstar. Um, but I think I would go with um, Gina Rodriguez. I think she's a great actress. I think she's not in enough stuff. Um, I think she would be perfect for the, for something like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting that you don't consider Gina Rodriguez a big star. I think she's a big star in the way that like... Joseph Gordon-Levitt is. Okay. Uh, people know who she is, but she's not going to stand out in, in a scene as like, you know, a, she's not a superstar, you know? Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I am Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I tried to do what Ryan Johnson did where he started, he made his first like small indie film and Joseph Gordon-Levitt started it and he was like kind of young, you know, he was proven, but he was like a young actor. So I wanted to find someone really young that would like last me my whole career, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and so I decided to go with Elsie Fisher, the star ah, of eighth grade. Nice. I think she just showed some major chops. I think she could pull off comedy and drama no matter what movie I need to put her in. And similar to like your reasoning, if I need her to just be in the background or a small role, like she won't draw focus. I honestly thought she would have been in more things by now. Yeah. Coming off of eighth grade. Well, but I guess it hasn't been that long. Also, and... I think it's a good sign that she hasn't because it means like she's finishing school. Like she's literally <laughs> yes. still going to school. So I she's <laughs> she does all the Despicable Me movies. Um, oh, really? Yeah. She ever since she was like even young way younger, she voices the youngest character in those movies. So I think that keeps her busy, keeps her active <laughs> until she's like eighteen or nineteen and can start you know, doing this full time. I respect the choice of not like throwing her into every single project after eighth grade. Totally. Um, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? This week I am feeling, I feel like everybody's feeling it this week, but um, The Last Dance is a documentary on ESPN. Um, it's a documentary series on ESPN about the uh, 1998 um, kind of last time that Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls um, kind of made it 
spoiler alert <laughs> for history, uh, made it all the way to the to you know to the to the finals and kind of what that experience was like. But then it also just dives into um, the history of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and all of the politics and um, you know social implications for all of that time in history. Um, and it's it's ten episodes. It's been on. Um, it's been airing two a week on ESPN. Um, and this week it finally wrapped up. So I actually haven't finished it yet. Uh, but it truly is one of the best documentary series that I've seen in a very long time. I think it's so interesting and it goes into a lot of the history of the players and a lot of stuff that I knew, a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Um, and it's, it is so much fun. I feel like it's, it's one of the best, um, like reality show type things. Um, that's just a documentary. It, it kind of does it. And there's a lot of drama, a lot of personal issues that people have with each other. And it's just so much fun to see. Yeah. I, <laughs> have not been watching this but like all of my twitter feed is talking about yeah. the last dance whenever there's a new episode out it's it's so good so if you're in any way interested in basketball and i think even if you're not it's still interesting to hear about um kind of what the what the social pressure is for people who are having to live up to michael jordan and kind of what the dynamic is between you know teammates who know they're not as good as him but are still on this team and having to kind of you know pull their weight as well as you know what what it's like to start making money as a you know as a 20 year old and just have millions of dollars and stuff like that um sure. it's very interesting i really liked it a lot very cool very cool. So how many, is it done or are there still more episodes? It's coming? done. The the okay. ninth, it, it was doing two a week. So the ninth and 10th episode have just aired. Again, I haven't, I haven't finished it, but. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Um, but that's it. Yep. Well, I'm interested to see how you feel about it, like as a whole after once it's, once you've watched it all. Yeah. I tended not to recommend things that I, <laughs> that I haven't finished, but. I think with, you're okay on this one. <laughs> with this one, I feel like, I feel like I'm in a good spot. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, I am also feeling a TV show. Um, I have been, you know, I've always been a big reality TV person, but especially right now, I've been like really soothing myself with Bravo. Um, I, I watch, I have like five different Bravo shows that come on every single week and that's what I like watch throughout the week. And one of them, you know, I've been watching all of my staples, Real Housewives of New York, <laughs> Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Vanderpump Rules. Um, top chef and now there's a new kid on the block that I'm tuning in for and it's called Camp Getaway um, it's kind of a cross between Below Deck which is which I don't watch but it's Bravo's reality show about a cruise ship and the staff that works on it and what it's like to be the staff on that ship and then also like Bug Juice. Lucas, did you ever watch Bug Juice as a kid? I did not watch Bug Juice. Do you know Juice, what it is? No. no, I have no idea. It was a <laughs> Disney Channel reality show way long ago before reality when when reality was like not a big thing. You know, back when like the only reality shows were kind of like the real world. And um it was for like tweens about like tweens at summer camp. Um and as a kid, man, it was everything <laughs> that I wanted. You know, it's like who had a crush on who, like fights and summer camp. And I lived for summer camp and summer camp drama growing up. It was really like such a part of who I was. And Camp Getaway is a reality show about the staff who works at a summer camp um, that operates for kids during the week. But on the weekends, it's like a 
um, weekend party destination for adults. And this is about the staff who works there on the weekends and they're called quote unquote social coordinators where basically they're paid to like keep the customers entertained, flirt with them, chat them up, party with them, um, all in a summer camp environment. And it's definitely not of the quality of most of Bravo's reality shows, but there's something about it that I cannot stop watching. There's only been a few episodes out, but as soon as there is a new one, I'm excited to watch. Um, there's something about, again, like, when people are at camp, even when they're adults, they revert back to this, like, really flirtatious teenage self that I find very charming to watch. Um, and then it's also just fun to watch, like, who comes to party at a, what adults are coming to party at a summer camp? What do those parties look like? And what would I do if I had the money to like bring a big group to party at a summer camp? And it's, it's just a fun escape. So yeah, that's what I've been watching. I've seen, I've been watching a lot of um, top chef this year and camp getaway has come up as a trailer yeah. um, a couple times. So I've seen the trailer. I, I, I kind of understand what it is. Uh, it looks what's it called like more scripted i guess than other hmm. i guess reality shows i don't know if it comes off that way in the the actual show but in the trailer i feel like i, I was seeing i was seeing like oh this seems to be more like less realistic than some of the yeah, other ones. i don't know in what way um you're you're thinking i guess like it's i think it's just new and here's what i would say with almost any reality tv show the first season always has this awkward feel to it because the people in the show are like i am on a tv show right now so i am behaving like i'm on a tv show maybe that's I, what it is yeah i wouldn't call it scripted but it's like it's like an uncomfortableness with the cameras <laughs> yes. and like with like, truly just like being themselves yeah. and then once they get over those first season jitters is when like the natural charm starts to show through. Um, yeah. And yeah. So there's, there's one guy on the show. His name, it's like about like a group of like five to 10, like 20, 20, 30 somethings that are these social coordinators. And one of them, his name is Glenn. He's the only like gay one in the group. And the whole show should just be about Glenn. He gets very little screen time and he should get all the screen time. So that's also a big part of why I'm tuning in. It's like, God, Glenn is a star, and the show doesn't realize it yet, and that's infuriating. <laughs> Alrighty, well, this is our final episode of our Ryan Johnson miniseries. We've been making our way through all of his movies, and we're, we've arrived at his last film, Knives Out, which is a movie that we have both seen multiple times recently. Is that right, Lucas? Yes, like, definitely. <laughs> it came out, you know, only a few months ago, and we did a whole review episode about it a few months ago. So with that in mind, we're not going to do a deep dive on Knives Out like we have done with his past films. Because you can just scroll back a few episodes to find <laughs> that deep dive. Um, but I do want to talk about it. And um, for anyone who hasn't listened to that, hear us discuss like what we thought about Knives Out and um, how we feel it fits into his filmography as a whole. So Lucas... Tell me about like your experience with Knives Out and your opinion then of it and your opinion now of it. Yeah. 
Um, love it. Always have. Always will. Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed, like going through Ryan Johnson's um, filmography, is that he's a very plotty guy. Like he's very interested in creating an interesting plot, um, but not at the detriment of the characters themselves. Um, I feel like a lot of times that's kind of a, a pendulum that swings with a lot of filmmakers. Is they either have great plots and basically no characters, or all characters and no plots. Um, and I think he balances it really well. I think something that's interesting about um, kind of a murder mystery is that with most murder mysteries, there's not a ton of plot. It's just about diving into the characters as you, you know, try and figure out what happened. Um, with this movie, he he still kind of sticks with his plot-driven stuff, and so, um, which I think is very interesting. I think there's a lot of things that he's obviously, you know, that influence him from this genre that he's pulling in. Um, and I think like his other movies, it's really interesting to watch him just kind of deconstruct um, a genre that we've seen many, many times before. Yeah. And so was there any difference between how you felt when you watched it the first time versus upon rewatches later on? Yeah. I think especially again, after seeing some of his other movies um, again, I think like look, looking at how he kind of introduces um, his movies of just kind of starting off with this is the type of movie that I'm making. Um, I think it's really fun to get into um, the the murder immediately of just kind of like mm. the discovery of the body. I think a lot of murder mysteries, um, you have a lot of buildup before the murder. And this one just kind of jumps you sure. right in of like, this is the movie we're dealing with. <laughs> this is what we're watching. Um, right. And I and I feel like that's that's something that he does with all of his movies is you're al- you're already what you start in the middle of something, which is fun. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, Well, as we've talked about on this podcast before, Knives Out was our most anticipated movie of last year. Yeah. Um, And we were, you know, so we had very high expectations going (laughs) in. Um, I, I think when I, before I went in to see this movie, I was really swept up with, it's a murder mystery and like, look at this cast, you know, like Ryan Johnson is finally getting to make like a big movie star movie. Um, and then when I watched the movie, I was, of course, I think the cast really shines in this film, but I was even more swept away by, like you said, the plot and like, like the setting and the, and, and all the setup of the movie, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the creation of the mansion and the, and the, and who the family is, um, was really is really more what I remember when I think about Knives Out versus I think of one particular performance, um, which is was a surprise to me. Um, I really loved this movie because, like you said, I love that he completely upends expectations. Um, you mentioned about how he and oh, I should say we're gonna spoil Knives Out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> so real quick. <laughs> um, you mentioned about how like he starts kind of in the middle. For me, the big thing when I first watched it was when he showed when we solved the murder, like a third of the way through the movie, I was like, this could go anywhere, you know? And that is not a feeling I typically feel in a murder mystery. Um and I was that was thrilling. It was thrilling for him to take a genre, but like he's done several times with genres and just like turn it on its head. Um, so that's really like what wowed me about that film the most. Um, and then rewatching it, and you know, I've watched it like two or three times since I saw it in the theaters, and I'm really wowed by one, 
so many like small character details that he like wove in that I just really appreciate and that I think each actor really dedicated themselves to um whether it be through dialogue or costumes or whatever um but then also just how because of those rich character details and jokes that you maybe didn't get catch the first time um or that you did catch the first time and now that you know to look for them like really really work um this movie all that to say this movie works really well as a rewatch which I don't think every mystery does. I think once you know who the how the mystery is solved, not every mystery you want to resolve it again. I say very few mysteries are are good on a rewatch. Sure, and um, this is the one. This is the kind where like because the jokes are so rich, the the setting is so rich um, that like the mystery is. Kind of like, you're like, oh, I'm happy that I know how it's solved, but, like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here because I want to live in this world, and I want to laugh at these characters and, like, feel these emotions that this movie brings out. Um, I just so deeply, I deeply appreciate any movie that has a strong rewatchability factor. Yeah. Um, I've often thought of, like, when I think of what my favorite movies are, they have to be movies that I can rewatch over and over again. Um, and not to say that every great film needs to be rewatchable because there are some that I've rewatched that I've some movies that I love that I will like, well, I'll never see that again. Yeah, like definitely. So that was a one timer. <laughs> um, but for a movie to like really latch itself to my heart, I have to be able to rewatch it over and over. And so, this I think is his most rewatchable movie for sure. And I think that that is such a testament to like how far he's come as a director that he can make something so like intricate that can also be rewatched so many times. I also am very interested in kind of the story of this movie of like how he kind of put this together because it kind of came together pretty quickly um, after uh, the last Jedi. Mm. Um, he, he, he said one of the, in one interview, he was like, I've been thinking about it for a long time. If this is a kind of movie I want to make, here's kind of the plot I want. Um, but he wrote it and shot it all in like less than a year of just, it all just kind of came together. Um, and then put it out there. And just, I think, especially after coming off such a huge production of the last Jedi, yeah. this must've felt like just a small, tiny movie kind of going back to what <laughs> he's been doing before. Right. Um, and so I, I, and I, which I think also just, I, makes me excited for the next one that he's doing a sequel to something like this um means it's still something that he's excited about and not burnt out on um and that he can i mean because it is just in this genre you can really do anything you want you're not tied into some kind of um, mythology around this so sure it's very exciting (laughs) do you think that he's gonna make a knives out sequel as his next film i don't know i think I think it's something obviously that the studio wants immediately as soon as possible. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, what he's interested in. I mean, it would be his first sequel, um, that he's done of anything. Um, but also he's, he's been someone who has kind of hopped around to different things, um, doing some TV, doing some, some movies. So just kind of whatever door opens, it seems like he's just kind of walking through it. So if this is the easiest, you know, door that's open, um, I could definitely see that being the next thing he's working on. It just seems like if I were him, I would want to put a movie in between my knives out movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wouldn't want to get stuck into 
okay, well now Ryan Johnson makes whodunits and, you know, um, but I, 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 you know, who knows? That would um, be my mindset as well, but I don't, right. he has ne- never seemed like someone who's like, I have to like figure out my legacy and, and wanted and like not wanting to get pigeonholed. He's just kind of, it seems like he's just kind of done whatever he wants. And so sure. I could see him doing it. Yeah. Another thing that I was thinking about Knives Out when I was thinking about us recording this episode was um, how different or how this fits into like his whole filmography, especially visually, you know, Um, I was thinking about the trailer that came out for this movie because it was a really fantastic trailer. Um, And when I think back on the trailer, it's not a very plot heavy trailer, you know, because it's, it's pretty like, it's a pretty basic sell, you know, it's a rich family, the old man dies, they all, it's all in one mansion. Who did it? You know, there's, there doesn't need to be a lot of plot in the trailer for people to get what this movie is. And so because of that, the trailer is then full of just like all of the flashiest shots, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like they, they didn't worry about like holding any back. It was just like, Everything that's like a cool shot, throw it in the trailer. Um, because in a different movie, you might want to save some of those cool shots for the theater. But in this movie, what you're really saving from the audience is the plot. You're saving like the who did it, the the cleverness of the movie. So the trailer has all these like really cool visual shots. And, um, and so because it was in the trailer and I've seen the trailer so many times a lot of those are really burned into my brain in a way that they wouldn't be for any other movie, you know? Um, and whenever I was thinking about watching all of his other films, I kept like thinking about shots from knives out that like would tie in together. I think the biggest one that obviously comes to mind is that like halo of knives, um, is like probably the most iconic image in the film. And, and I think you see stuff like that throughout his other films. Like we talked about in brick, um, there's a very halo esque scene with like a broken mirror. Um, um, even in last Jedi, I feel like there's some like vague surrounding halo shots. Um, and then like, I also think about how in knives out he shoots. I always think about how he shoots action, with that really great car chase shot that's in the trailer. <laughs> I mean, that car chase shot in the trailer is what, like, I already was, like, excited about this movie, obviously, but that's the one where I felt hooked, you know? Where, like, oh, I'm so excited for this now because of that one, like, reaction shot. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so it just made me think about the way he shoots action and the way he adds, like, comedy to action. Um I don't know. I'm kind of just blathering on about all the things that like I'm I'm remembering now that we're talking about knives. No, it's I think it's interesting because you get to see him learning new things with each movie and yeah. like he hadn't done a lot of like actual action stuff until Looper. Um and then you can see he builds on a lot of the the action work that he did in Looper for the Last Jedi and then just kind of really tones it down but you can tell he has just an impeccable <laughs> understanding of how to shoot action in Knives Out especially with that car chase like you said. Yeah. Um so I yeah, I think it's really exciting. I also think this I I'm pretty sure this is the first film that he's shot digitally. I think all the other ones have been on film and I think this one is partially film, partially digital. Um, but I think he's also just interested in kind of experimenting, um, 
and just kind of like whatever whatever can get the job done for him is 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 what he's interested in and so i think there's a lot of i mean he's been working with the same cinematographer the whole time as well and so i think there's just a lot of um there's a lot of technical things that he can do now that he couldn't do <laughs> earlier on. And I think he's just very excited about making films in general. And so um, I think getting to see him kind of play with that technology here is a lot yeah, of fun. Totally. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about with knives out or do we want to talk about his filmography as a whole now? Let's do it as a whole. Okay. So now we've watched all of his movies. Um, before this, I had seen most of them. Now I can say I've seen all of them. <laughs> um, so, Lucas, how do you feel about his movies? Where would you rank them all? Um, is there one that, like, you feel, like, stands out? Or, or, or do they all fit into some sort of narrative? How do you feel about them as a whole? I do think the Star Wars one stands out as just different than the rest of them. Um, sure. But I think it's still, like like we said last time, it still feels like a Ryan Johnson movie. I think because you have that massive budget and you have this cast and this um, this just framework for this movie, um, it feels like the it it feels like the different one, but it doesn't feel like an outlier or like an odd one out. <laughs> um, yeah. It feels like it's part of the the Ryan Johnson filmography, and it but it also feels like it's part of um, the Star Wars universe, which I think is just. It's extremely impressive to actually pull that off. Um, but I think because all of his other ones are smaller, um, that one does stand out a little bit. Um, and it's his only adapted work. like Yes. Yeah, definitely. Everything, everything else, else is absolutely original. Like, you know, and that's something that we haven't really discussed quite so blatantly, but that like, especially in this day and age for a director to have almost all of their movies be originally written um, and not any kind of adapted pieces or based on any IP is pretty impressive. Yeah, you don't get that. It's basically him and Christopher Nolan are the yeah. only ones who are doing that. Right. So it's it's it really is exciting that, he, one, he's allowed to do that, that, like, studios are willing to fund um, original movies like that, um, but also just that they've all been successful. Like, that's extremely impressive. Yeah. So, um. I'm trying to think what I was what I was going to oh, say. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think I do think they all work as a whole. I think one of the things that I've talked about multiple times is just that his movies tend to um, look at a specific genre and really just kind of deconstruct it um, and sometimes turn it on its head and sometimes just kind of um, dig into it in a different way than you've than you've seen before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's I think that's one of the things that I love the most about all of his movies. But if I were going to rank them, um, of the five movies that he's done, I I would rank them at the, at the at the bottom. I I love all of them, but at the bottom I would put Brick, and then on top of that I would put Looper. On top of that I would put The Last Jedi, and then Brothers Bloom, and then number one would be Knives Out for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll start by ranking them as well, um, just so that we can compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. um, so at the bottom for me. And I wouldn't have said this before this series, but after, yeah. you know, watching the series as a whole, um, the bottom for me would be Looper. Um, there's a dourness to Looper that as I get older, <laughs> I don't, you know, yeah. enjoy as much. Yeah. Um, not, that, but there's a place for it, of course. Um, number four would be, um, Brothers Bloom, which I saw for the first time and really enjoyed, 
Um, but, you know, I've only seen it the once. So, number three would be Brick, which, for all of how, like, low budgeted it is and, like, what a new filmmaker he was, man, am I charmed by that movie. Like, mm-hmm. watching it again years and years later, I was like, wow, this movie still has it. So, I really, really <laughs> love Brick. Um, number two would be Knives Out, and number one is Last Jedi, which I think is a masterpiece. And, you know, we I raved about it during that episode Um, yeah i think i think i think that's a that's a good listing i think it's interesting to see um i because i i think everybody would have a different listing of of his movies i don't think there's anything that in his you know oeuvre that's just like oh this is you know by far and away the one that everybody's gonna love the most i think he brings a different thing to each one which is a lot of fun yeah yeah it is fun that like I don't anyone could come up with any ranking and I don't think I would be shocked or appalled by any of them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. If you if any of those movies is your favorite, then like great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it um he has like a very um level quality of work. Um which I think is also pretty impressive that he doesn't have highs and lows the way most people in any job do, you know? Um And when I think about, like, what do I love about a Ryan Johnson movie um, is I love a wordy movie from any director. (laughs) Yeah. And he is not afraid to be wordy Mm -hmm. and to use wordplay as, like, a main selling point of his films. Um, Every single one of these movies that we've watched, I've had, I've, like, made made sure to turn on subtitles because, like, I want to catch every dialogue trick he throws at me um like i want to relish it so i love that he's a wordsmith i love that he is a puzzle maker um this is why i love heist movies so much is because they're ultimately puzzles and the same thing with like mystery movies and that he tends to like throw that puzzle maker capability into like any genre he's attempting um so I really, really appreciate that about him. And then my favorite thing about him as a filmmaker is that he has a strong sense of theme and morality that he, like, can't let a movie... He, I don't think Ryan Johnson could make a movie that was just a fun thing to watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. everything <laughs> that he's going to, like, put out is going to make you feel something and learn something and, like, speak to a deeply held truth that like you didn't even know you held inside yourself. And I love a director that can do that while making a sci-fi film, while making a star Wars film, while making a movie about con artists, like whatever he, whatever subject matter it is, um, there he's going to bring out yeah. those same themes and it seems um, it seems extremely impressive but it also feels like like those are the basics of storytelling but the basics yes. are really hard <laughs> like, exactly. and a lot of people don't do them and so when you see someone who does it and does it kind of flawlessly and almost feels like effortlessly every time right. um it's really impressive Right. I mean, every movie, every story has a moral. You know, it's not like that is something like totally new that he's only Ryan Johnson's doing, (laughs) but it's the way he does it. And it's like with it's how eloquently he does it um, is what makes him so special. Okay, well, we obviously are big fans of Ryan Johnson and we have been thinking about 
you know, how he works with genre and what kind of movies is he going to make in the future? Um, hopefully there's still a film industry to support Ryan Johnson making <laughs> movies. Um, so we each came up with a few movie pitches for Ryan Johnson to like get started on. Um, yes. They're very vague. I really just like was thinking like, okay, what would a Ryan Johnson movie in this genre look like? Exactly. Um, yeah. So why don't we each take a turn pitching each other, Lucas? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I'll start us off. So the first thing that came to mind, like hands down, was like, well, if I wanted a Ryan Johnson movie in a certain <laughs> genre, like obviously this is what it would be, was a fairy tale. Um, so many of his movies already have like fairy tale imagery. Um, but I want a real fairy tale. Now it could be a Ryan Johnson take on a fairy tale, but I want magic. I want beautiful heroines. I want some romance. I want a quest. Like I want a classic fairy tale. <laughs> he he already is doing it. He just hasn't committed to it as like yeah. a whole movie. And so, do you have anyone who do you, who do who you'd want cast? In a so fairy, in a Ryan Johnson fairy tale, this was the hardest one for me to cast because <laughs> fairy tales, um, like they require such a specific look, you know, of of like a face. They require a, a like a really stunning, a stark face, and so I was trying to cast like um, a like a really striking female presence, and the what kept coming to me wasn't exactly what I originally thought, but someone who I think would really thrive is Caitlin Deaver um, from Booksmart. Yeah. Um, I just could see her as like a, a heroine in a forest, you know? Yeah. And, and then another actor that I really would love to see be in a fairy tale and who I would really love to see work with Ryan Johnson is my, one of my all time favorites is Andrew Garfield. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and I'm not saying that the two of them would be like a pair up. I'm, you know, um, I'm just saying these are two actors that were coming to mind as far as who I would want to see in Ryan Johnson movies and who I would love to see in a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I need a Ryan Johnson fairy tale with Andrew Garfield. That's my, <laughs> that's my number one request. Um, what about you, Lucas? What's your first pitch? I think for me, I mean, just because of how much I love the way he does storytelling and, and, and the, the hints that I got um, from, um, Brothers Bloom, like I want him to do a full out heist movie. Like that, yeah. that is that is more of like a con man caper movie, and I want him to do a heist movie. And I feel totally. like like the the mixture of plotting that goes into that the into the Brothers Bloom and not the mystery of Knives Out, I feel like that can combine for a really great um, true heist movie. Um, and my my thought is, I think it'd be interesting again, just because he kind of deconstructs the genre and like what is this genre trying to say and all of this. I think it'd be interesting to do. Um, some kind of aging mastermind um, tries to secure his legacy when he finds out that his daughter no longer wants to take over the family heist business. Love um, that. I think I think that would be really fun to get kind of a, like an old like a Michael Caine type person um, yeah. who, who has been in a lot of this genre and kind of has you know that kind of mentality. And th but then also a younger than him, but still kind of older. I, I say older in quotes, right. um, an older woman just kind of dealing with with this kind of business. And I would like love to have like, exactly. I would love yeah. to have like Robin Wright as something um, or like Helena Bottom Carter or something, some, someone like that um, who could fit into um, kind of a very 
um, a very kind of classy heist movie. I think would oh, be a lot of fun. Bringing the Oceans families together. Ah, yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree with you. Like, nothing do i don't i want nothing more than a heist ryan johnson film like Mm -hmm. a team like get the team together you know like the the whole sequence okay so my second pitch is very in line with you lucas um my second pitch is i want to see now i want to be clear i don't want the classic take on this that we've seen a million (laughs) times yes okay yes but i want a ryan johnson take on robin hood oh so adaptation okay yes but like it doesn't even have to be like a clear-cut adaptation it can be like how 10 things i hate about you is a shakespeare adaptation you know like Mm -hmm. loose like keep it like a loose inspiration but i want a robin hood story because ryan johnson already has the themes of eat the rich in like all of his movies and so like what is the most classic eat the rich tale, but Robin hood. Um, and so I want to see another, you know, thief movie, which also kind of ties into like a grand heist movie, um, depending on the type of thief that you create as your Robin hood. (laughs) Um, I think there's like potential for heists, potential for, um, like great themes about the rich. And as far as casting Robin hood, um, I'm kind of cheating here, okay? Because I'm drawing off of, like, a past film's experience that just, like, really burned into my brain. Um, <laughs> when I was young, there was a made-for-TV movie called Princess of Thieves, and it starred Kira Knightley as Robin Hood's daughter. And, it, and, and she was, like, young, and then she, like pretended to be his son by like cutting her hair and so she was kind of in drag and it was like a really it was great um but i would love to see kira knightley as an adult robin hood could it be a modern day robin hood could it be you know i don't care what decade it's in i don't care what you know where the setting is but i want to see kira knightley as a main character in a ryan johnson (laughs) film stealing from the rich giving to the poor because that's awesome also, she really feels like the kind of actress that, like, could blend in with the rich to, like, steal from them, you know? And then, like, have the heart to, like, give it all up. Um, yeah, so his take on Robin Hood. I, now I have to see, what what's it called? The Princess of Thieves. Princess of Thieves. I have it's, to see Princess of Thieves now. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I think you can find it on YouTube. Like I said, it was made for TV, so it's... It, it looks like it's a Disney movie. It looks like it's on Disney+. Plus. Is it really? Oh, probably. It was probably like a made for Disney Channel original. Not Disney Channel, but maybe like ABC Family. Yeah. 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 That's what it that's what it is. Um, it was very low budget, but it really (laughs) stuck with me. Basically the plot is Robin Hood is alive, but he's always out of town on business. Like he's always (laughs) like he's always busy and his daughter like misses him and she wants to like join his merry crew or whatever. And he's like, No, you are a young girl. And so she cuts off her hair to like be a boy and there's whoever, whatever the king is, that's like the good king, you know, in the Robin yeah. Hood, he, mm-hmm. that king has died and his son who has been exiled is trying to like come back to the country to reclaim the throne from whatever the villainous brother uncle king is. And she <laughs> is like trying to help him like come back into the country and reclaim the throne. And at first he thinks she's a boy and then they fall in love and it's a whole thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's great in it. She, I mean, she's Karen Knight. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, okay. Ryan Johnson uh, Robin Hood movie sounds amazing. I would yeah. definitely tune in for that. Yeah. So. Okay. Do you have another pitch for me? Yes. My second one. Um, he, Ryan Johnson's a musical person. I like his his cousin. Um, does all the music for his movies. But he also plays a lot of instruments and his family is big into music and he's been in a couple bands. And I would love him to do I would love for him to do a musical um, kind of I would love for him to do a normal musical, but also specifically a like a once style musical. Um, and my pitch for this is Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a as an unsuccessful composer who reinvents himself as a pop as a pop songwriter to keep himself afloat. Um, and it's kind of a. um a romance where where he you know meets a producer and they fall in love throughout the course of the movie and it's just about him finding himself in this what he thinks of as lesser genre of yes. songwriting um i think i think that could be that could that could be a very interesting thing for ryan johnson to, to dig into yeah love that i also would love to see what ryan johnson's take on fame is you know yes like exactly. that hasn't been a subject matter he's really touched yet um but I bet he has some opinions on it. I bet he has so many opinions on yeah. fame. <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah. Um, I think you could get a lot into like internet culture sure. and uh, fanboyism and stuff like that in, in yeah, something like that totally. as well, which could be interesting. Um, okay, well, similar to you, I have a Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ryan Johnson pitch right now. So I was thinking through like, what are my favorite genres that Ryan Johnson would do well. Of course, I came to rom-com, but I was like, you know what? I actually don't want a rom-com from Ryan Johnson. I don't think his writing style, like, rom-coms really aren't puzzles. They're not, you know, like, and I don't really like the way like that that would play out. Um, the, the thing that I do think that he would really nail, though, um, because something that we also haven't talked about is how his films are really kind of addressing masculinity in like a in a way like that's another major aspect of his filmography um is like the the follies of masculinity but also like the dangers of it and like what it is to be like a sensitive man and that kind of stuff um so thinking of that it made me want and i'm not saying a remake of this but like something in the style of sort of a like a mighty ducks kind of movie where I want to see a Ryan Johnson sports film, ultimately. And I want to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt as, similar to you, like an aging like sports star who is now having to like coach for the first time. Ideally coaching kids, um, because that's where all the great material is. Um, <laughs> I don't care what sport, truly at all like and and part of i think the fun of this could be ryan johnson a ryan johnson sports film maybe doesn't even have to be like a real sport you know what i mean it could be a board game it could be a like it could be some sort of competitive event that feels like a sports film even though it's not athletic um but i would also take an athletic sport i I really don't care but i want to see joseph gordon levitt like begrudgingly coaching kids in a Ryan Johnson movie. Um, and then I was trying to think of who I want him to coach. And do you remember the kid who was in Shazam, who played the kid who was like disabled? Yes. yes. The what a star, actor. right? Yes. <laughs> His name is Jack Dylan Grazer. He was also in beautiful boy. He played young Timothy Chalamet in that movie. And he was just like, he's one of those, like kids who 
as soon as you saw him perform, you're like, wow, what a, what a star. And what a way with words, too. Um, so he's someone I want to see in a Ryan Johnson movie exhausting a, an, an older Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> <laughs> a great use of Ryan Johnson's talents. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I think you could get a lot out of that. And it could be, uh, like, I think... He hasn't made like a family friendly movie, I guess. Sure. Yet. Yeah. Um, and I think this could be like a fun movie that everybody goes to yeah, see I mean, at the I guess theater. That, except for Star Wars, but Star yeah. Wars is still intense, you know. And it's I think it's the most mature out of all the Star Wars movies. Totally. So <laughs> but yeah, I think that could be really great. Yeah. Well, my last one oh. is um okay. is a remake. I, I would be interested in in having him remake something. One, because of um, his mentality for kind of deconstructing um, something that's kind of come before. Um, and I have been very interested in him doing some kind of Western. I feel like a lot of the stuff that's in Looper and a lot of kind of the themes and the stuff that intrigues him about um, about the Looper movie are kind of key tenets of a Western genre. Totally. Um, but I, I was having a hard time trying to figure out like what kind of Western would he do? And I think what it would be is he would throw out most of the actual Western tropes and just do something set in the West that has nothing to do with kind of the, um, the, the normal, you know, cowboys stuff that you see um, around Westerns. And what I thought would be interesting is a remake of the defiant ones. So if you haven't seen the defiant ones, it's a 1958 film um, about a prison truck that crashes and, um, Two, two men escape and they're shackled to each other and it's it's a it's a black guy Sidney Poitier and and a white guy Tony Curtis who are just shackled together and are trying to escape together and it's just about the race relationships between them um it's it's a fine movie but I think that would be very interesting to do in a western setting where you have a slave and a Native American um who are chained together and trying mm-hmm. to escape the old west um <laughs> and yeah. just how how interesting that could be with that kind of relationship where you basically just take the white people out of it entirely and it's them trying to survive um trying to get away from um you know what what you have out there which is the law and which is the you know the, the people that you're used to rooting <laughs> rooting for yeah. in in those types of movies so i think he could do a great job of kind of deconstructing that whole genre um from that perspective I can also already envision how like clever he would be at the physical humor of two people like a hundred percent. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun. Oh, love that. Well, we really hope that Ryan Johnson is busy writing something during this quarantine <laughs> that he's like, ha- I mean, I, I do think he's probably someone who has like a bunch of ideas in a drawer that he just kind of pops out when he's ready for them. And, um, I can't wait to see what he makes next. And uh, I, what I love about him as a director is that, you know, he, he's made five movies and each of them feels very him and very thoughtful. You know, like mm-hmm. he hasn't had a film where it's like, I'm going to throw this one away or just make it for the money or like, or d- do it, but it didn't end up working out. Like he has such a great track record and, yeah. um, yeah, and, and you can't say that for even my favorite filmmakers. I, I know. can't say that for, you know, like yeah. Nora Ephron, I adore. She does not have that track record um, and plenty of others. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate the track record that he has and hopefully that how that track record will continue into the future. He's, he's very patient and he'll wait yeah. to get to be able to do what he wants to do. Um, and doesn't feel compromised. Yeah. So it's exciting to see. Totally. Uh, Meanwhile, I'll keep enjoying him on Twitter. 
Absolutely. <laughs> well, Lucas, this has been a fun series to do. I'm glad it has. You did it. This has been really great. I've, I feel like I've learned a ton. Yeah. It, it makes me want to do this with other directors. It makes me want to like, the hard thing is most directors don't have filmographies as short and as yes. bountiful yes. as this are. <laughs> yeah. um, but it does make me want to like track a director's filmography from beginning to end to just see the growth and the, and the trends. I think it's interesting yeah. to do because we have a writer director with Ryan Johnson. It's interesting totally. to see kind of the, the true evolution of his entire um, kind of work. Um, yeah. Whereas with, I think, a lot of directors, they kind of bounce around a little bit because you get different writers on them um, right. and kind of how that influences, which is interesting on its own. But sure. um, I think I think this this has been fun. Yeah. So. All right. Well, if anyone wants to find us online, Lucas, where can people find you? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.